0: Hello, and welcome to the September 2021 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and for anyone wondering after last month's cliffhanger, despite some initial concerns, I ate the whole thing, it tasted fine, and there were no worrying side effects. Of course, if you didn't listen last month, you'll have no idea what I'm wittering on about there, but that's what the subscribe button's for. Anyway, in a little while, I'll be speaking to Paul McGlone and Phil Cork about pensions dashboards. But before that, let's take a look at the pensions news from this month. And don't worry, I promise there are no new consultations to worry about. The Prime Minister and the Chancellor have challenged the UK's pension funds and other institutional investors to consider investing a greater proportion of their capital in long-term UK assets. In an open letter to the industry, they've noted that over 80% of UK DC pension funds investments are in listed securities, but these represent only 20% of the UK's assets. They're calling for an investment big bang, giving pension savers access to better returns and supporting an innovative, healthier, greener future for the UK. The letter recognises that there are currently some barriers to increased investment in these long-term assets, and the government will be taking action to remove some of these, including issuing the UK's first green gilt, reforming the DC charge cap, accelerating consolidation of the pension sector and reviewing the Solvency 2 regime for insurance companies. However, the government has stopped short of mandating more investment in these areas. The letter states that choosing which assets to invest in to secure the best outcomes remains a matter for pension fund trustees and other custodians of institutional capital. And it goes on to say, You will know best what is right for your business, but concludes, We strongly believe this is a question that all institutional investors should be considering. The letter does promise more information to follow in the coming weeks, with an investment summit at Downing Street planned for October. No sign of my invite yet, but I'll keep an eye on this and let you know what happens. The pensions regulators issued an interim response to its consultation on the new single code of practice. Just as a reminder, this will consolidate 10 of TPR's existing codes of practice into one single code, and you can hear more about this in the April 2021 edition of this podcast. As they'd already revealed at Aon's single code webinar at the end of July, TPR have now extended the timescale for the new code, with the expectation that it will now come into force no earlier than summer 2022. This will allow TPR to consider incorporating the code content arising from the Pension Schemes Act 2021 into the first iteration of the code, rather than updating it again later on. And it should also give schemes slightly longer to prepare. Looking at the content of the code, there are a couple of key messages in the interim response. The first one relates to the proposed unregulated investment limit. Now, some respondents had interpreted this as a restriction on illiquid assets, and they'd expressed concerns about the impact of this on large, well-governed schemes. TPRs clarified that their focus is on protecting members in smaller, less well-run schemes, and they'll be redrafting the policy to better reflect this. The other area they've commented on is own risk assessments, which are a new requirement rather than something being carried forward from the existing codes. Respondents didn't generally object to the principle of reviewing a scheme's existing risk controls, but there were some concerns around the amount of work involved. TPR will therefore consider how often own risk assessments should be reviewed. And we may also see some changes to the requirements for smaller schemes. Yes, it's GMP equalization time again. Hot on the heels of last month's guidance on GMP conversion, PASA have now published some new guidance on historic transfer payments. This reflects the November 2020 judgment concerning the Lloyds Bank Pension schemes and updates the methodology guidance that was issued in September 2019. In our view, this latest guidance note is helpful in that it draws out the issues involved for both the transferring and receiving schemes, making it easier for trustees to make informed decisions. It does consider the impact on bulk transfers as well as individual transfers, but it doesn't cover public sector schemes or transfer clubs. The guidance also notes that there are still unresolved issues following the 2020 Lloyds ruling, and that these may never be answered by the courts. As always with GMP equalisation, the usual health warning applies, so this is a complex technical area, and we'd always recommend that schemes seek actuarial and legal advice specific to their circumstances throughout their GMP equalisation project. And finally, a couple of things you may want to check out. So first up is our digital member options conference on the 21st of September. This will consist of three 45-minute sessions on what we can learn from recent experience, looking at pensioners who have retired in the post-freedom world, early movers on GMP conversion with a pension increase exchange, and the developments in the DB world to improve outcomes for DC members. I'll include a registration link in the show notes, and I believe you can also request a recording if you can't make it on the day. Secondly, we've just published our 15th annual in-depth report on scheme funding. This year's report looks at completed valuations for Aon's clients with valuation dates up to June 2020, as well as looking ahead to valuations in 2021 and beyond. You can request a copy of this through our website, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Way, way back in the 2016 budget, the government announced that a pensions dashboard would be created by the pensions industry. You could be forgiven for thinking that nothing much has happened in the five years since then, but the picture's finally starting to become a bit clearer, so we thought now would be a good time to look at what this will mean for pension schemes. Today, I'm joined by Paul McGlone from our retirement consulting team and Phil Cork from our pensions admin team. Regular listeners will recognise Paul as a bit of a podcast veteran. This is now his third appearance, but this is Phil's first time, so I promise we'll give Paul all the really hard questions. And on that note, Paul, big question to start with. What exactly is the pensions dashboard, and is this definitely happening, or is it still just a bit of a distant dream?
1: That's a a good question, Ricky. I think it is definitely happening now. You're right, it, it does go back to about 2016, and we've had a few false starts but essentially the idea is that anyone who is saving in a pension scheme should be able to go onto a dashboard and see details of all the pension schemes that they have and and by all I mean all all that they've got in the UK. So that basically means uh, information such as who who their pensions are with but also information such as um, how much they've got and, and where they go for more information. So it won't apply to pensions that are already in payment so anyone who's already retired won't have access, but anyone who hasn't retired, so active members, deferred members of pension schemes, it will cover them and it will cover DB schemes, DC schemes, state pensions, so so hopefully the whole lot. Now that, that sounds simple, well you might think it sounds simple, but there are tens of millions of pension savers out there in the UK, there are tens of thousands of pension schemes and some of these go back decades, so connecting them all up is a big task and, and really that's why it's taken
0: so long. So as you say, that, that that does sound like a big task. Realistically, how long is it going to take to get all this ready?
1: So there are a, a couple of different timescales to think about. One is when pension schemes have to get ready, and the other is when individuals will will have access. So if we start by thinking about the pension schemes themselves, there are some providers, I think there's about seven of them who are due to connect to the dashboard early in 2022 with test data. So they will go ahead and test the sort of infrastructure, and that will be really helpful for the rest of us to make sure it all works as expected. Um, and then the real data with the largest schemes initially will start to be connected from April, 2023. So the largest schemes will be the big auto enrollment providers the the master trusts for example uh you know the very largest dB schemes, and then that will feed its way down to the smaller schemes and we we think that by april twenty twenty five essentially all schemes with more than about a thousand members um should be connected to the dashboard now that doesn't mean individual savers will necessarily get access from 2023 as well. They're going to have to wait until there's enough information on the dashboard that it's worth them going on, that there's no point giving individuals access when only a handful of schemes are on it. And so we expect that to be, let's say maybe 2024 by the time individuals can get access because enough schemes are on that it's worth
0: their while. Phil, just thinking about this from the perspective of a member, what do we think people will actually be able to see when they log onto the dashboard?
2: Well, it's it's, it's not 100% clear at the moment what savers will see and and what the actual dashboard will look like, but basically it falls in three sort of areas. First is users will see some level of basic information about themselves. Secondly, they'll uh, have information about each of the pensions they have, things like when they earned it, who they worked for at the time, if we have that information, of course. and and who administers the schemes. If they they want to know where to go to get more information, quotes, or or actually perform an activity, they have that information uh, and they can do so. Uh, And the third part, which is really the hardest area, which is, well, they should expect to see an estimate of how much pension they might receive. And that point is actually generating a lot of discussion on what exactly do we show. So if you think about someone that left a, a defined benefit scheme in, I don't know, the year 2000, might have had a pension of around 350 pounds, say. Well, if we revalue that up to today, that could now be worth 400, 450 pounds. But if we then project that forward to the member's at normal retirement age, say 65, that could now be worth 700 pounds. Well, which figure do we, we have to provide? Which figure do we have to show? And crucially, which one's the most value to the member? What What, what is it they can actually understand? So hopefully this will all be agreed soon as we need to know exactly what it is we want to show and implement
0: so that schemes and administrators can really start to get ready. As well as what they can see, what will they be able to actually do on the dashboard? Is there going to be any kind of interactive element to it?
2: Well, to start with, not much more, to be honest. The big part of the dashboard's idea is it will reconnect people with their lost pensions and, and as Paul says, make it easy to see all of your pensions in one place. So to start with, the big thing is people can basically find all of their pensions and get a view of, of what retirement income they might have from each of those individual arrangements. So beyond that, we don't expect a lot of additional features to be available in the first version, that, that will come later. So for example, there won't be any modeling to show what happens if you wanna model different retirement ages. Uh, and in fact, if you have more than one pension, f- for good reasons, you, you won't see an aggregated total of your, of your retirement income. So savers are still gonna to have to contact schemes directly um, if they want additional calculations uh, and information And the modelling websites that a lot of schemes already have for their members to support, you know, over retirement um, decisions, understanding will continue to be the place to go. Uh, In in fact, what we could see is administrators see a surge in requests. So if members log on to the dashboard, find the schemes they'd forgotten about, maybe they might have a lot of questions or or requests that, that, you know, suddenly come in
0: uh, at the initial point of go live. Right. So Paul, have been talking about kind of dashboard singular so far but understand that there may actually be more than one what what are we actually talking about in practice here
1: you're right that we are talking about at least one but uh probably many more So the first dashboard we expect to be launched by the Money and Pension Service, and we can think of that as the default, if you like. But the idea is then that other organisations can also set them up. So imagine something like the car insurance comparison websites. Basically, they all have access to the same underlying information. They do the same job, but as an individual, we can choose which one to use. So with pension dashboards, each provider, each dashboard provider, will be able to access exactly the same information from exactly the same pension schemes, but they'll each show it on their own website in a a different way that, that they want. Now, to start with, what they can do is pretty limited. I mean, Phil's already mentioned, they can't even add up the numbers to give a total. They're not allowed to. But longer term, it may be that they can do that, they can add on retirement tools, they can add on other features, and that that's the point at which we'll start to distinguish the dashboards from one another. Now, for individual schemes, they won't get a choice which dashboards to give their data to the the individual scheme will provide information to basically anyone who is authorized to provide a dashboard. So everybody will have access to the same information.
0: That sounds like a lot of dashboards having access to a lot of personal data. When you've been on the podcast before, Paul, we've been talking about cyber risk. Isn't there a bit of a risk here around data security?
1: There clearly is a risk when anything like this is put online. So, For example, a lot of us have online banking, our our tax returns are online, we have credit agencies who've got access to all sorts of information online for us. And essentially, this isn't any more dangerous, but it does mean that good controls are needed. So part of that is technology. There's a lot of work going on in various places at the moment uh, to develop the dashboard infrastructure, if you like, so that it's secure. Part of it is also making sure we only share information with the right people. So if we have two people called john smith with the same date of birth making sure that we don't show each of them the other's information and and part of it is also being clear about who's responsible for what so for example the dashboard program is due to launch something called a liability model in the coming months and and that's meant to be explaining who would be responsible if despite everyone's best efforts something does go wrong so I, I'm confident I'm confident we will sort this out. This isn't the first time that a lot of personal information has been put on the web, but, but we do need to be careful.
0: And Phil, just coming back to you, from an admin point of view, this does sound like a lot of work. Is it really as bad as it sounds? And if so, where's the industry going to find the time to do this on top of everything else?
2: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It is um, a lot of work and we, we expect a lot of the work involved with dashboards and getting ready for dashboards to fall to the administration providers. Uh, and as we'll all be aware, right now we've got an awful lot on our plate, whether that's you know, GMP reconciliation that's still ongoing for many schemes and that could take a few more years to finish. We've also got GMP equalisation that's really ramping up and, and, and starting to to see a lot more activity and clearly has a, a massive impact on on Pinterest administration. And then, if you look across the public sector space as well, you've got the McLeod judgment, which which is also going to require significant resource to implement. So, in practice, I think schemes are going to have to be pragmatic when it comes to dashboard. It won't be possible to have everything perfect from that go-live date that they have. Inevitably, there's going to be some data that might need further work, might not be quite right, and there might be some pensions for for, for good reasons that that might not be able to be quoted. So, I think it's the important thing will be to to understand what do you have reliably available, um, and make sure that data is available on request to the dashboard. But also the flip side of that, which make sure anything that could be unreliable is identified and absolutely does not find its way to to the dashboard when when a member requests uh, their pension information. Over time, schemes can then sort of keep improving what they've got. But to start with, I I do think it's going to be a bit of a mix. Some schemes will clearly be more prepared than others. But one point to consider when we th- th- think about that, well, how's industry going to find time to do this, the majority of the projects that we're, we're facing in the industry at the moment are, all, all have elements of, of data cleanse involved. So there are potential opportunities to look at the data and data more holistically, and in essence, you could look at the approach of
0: opening the member file once, rather
2: than keep coming back to it for different projects. So there are opportunities
0: there. So just to finish up, what would you say schemes should be doing on this right now? Well, to some extent, that depends a lot on scheme membership size
2: and how you do your administration. So if you're in a position where you have less than a 1,000 active and deferred members combined, then your pension dashboard onboarding date is likely to be later in the process at some point after 2025. And now what that means is you've got more time to plan and get ready, but we know dashboard is coming. So really, the sooner you get dashboard ready, the better. Plus, of course, if you think about it, the, any work you do on, on data and automation now is going to provide a benefit to your administration and to your members anyway. So it's worth worth looking at anyway. For anyone that's larger than that, there's kind of three areas, I think. First, start understanding what those requirements are. You know, get familiar with dashboards. So for, for some people, it's get training into your trustee boards and think about how soon you might be required to get ready. And one of the key things is make sure that the dashboard is on the meeting agenda for trustee meetings. You know, it's, it's not something we can continue to ignore. It needs to be um, you know, discussed and, and looked at. Second of all, I'd say maybe, maybe talk to your administrators, see what they're doing and when. If you use third party administration services such as Aon, then we, you know, we've already got project plans in place to, to get dashboard ready. Although there are elements that are still being finalized. Um, so, yeah, you know, our plans won't be completely fixed yet, but we can still have conversations with you. If you do administration in-house, then then, make sure the team is up to speed and what's needed and make sure that planning process is is also underway. And a lot of that for in-house schemes will be talking to your software providers and understanding how they can help you, what services they're providing, and again, what they might need to do to support you getting ready. And the last thing I'd ask for schemes to do is is really stay positive about this. There, there, There is no doubt that you could look at this and say, oh, it's another burden on pension schemes at a time when they've also got a lot of other things going on. You could say it's driven by politicians and leaving schemes and sponsors to pick up the bill. But the reality is this is the best opportunity in a generation we've got to, A, re-engage people with their pensions, but B, improve how individuals get that information on their pensions. So I think it's important that everyone involved sort of remembers that when we look at the work we need to do and and recognises that there are a lot of long-term benefits here
0: that are very much
2: worth the short-term pain we have to go to, to, to get ready.
0: Great. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us today. That's certainly helped to improve my understanding of the pensions dashboard or dashboards, and hopefully our listeners will feel the same way. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, that's everything for today. So thanks for listening. And thanks again to my guests, Phil Cork and Paul McGlone. I'll be back with more next month, and if you're worried about losing track of the labyrinthine subplots and Easter eggs in both the literal and figurative senses, you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.